The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. The message today is the first half of a message preached on the occasion of Easter Sunday morning at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. In this message, we focus upon the importance of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul starts out telling us about the gospel, and he makes it clear that the resurrection is an essential part of that gospel. The Corinthians had gotten all mixed up and believed that there was no resurrection of the body. Now, I'm not sure if they didn't believe Christ was resurrected bodily or if they were just talking about their own bodily resurrection. But Paul presents a very consistent and logical defense of the resurrection by tying our resurrection to Christ's resurrection and showing us that the resurrection should be the central theme of our lives. The resurrection indeed should be the central truth around which we build our daily walk as we'll see in this message. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Oh, 
In the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul begins this chapter by making a declaration that's very important to us. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Now, in the world that we live in, I don't get a lot of good news. I don't turn on my TV and get excited about what I see. And all these problems that we see in the world aren't getting better and better. I don't look to politics to save us. You know, I'm involved in politics, but politics is never going to save us. And it's never going to fulfill our dreams and our desires as children of God. And that's because politics relies on people to fill those positions and people are going to let us down. But I need some good news. When I turn on the news and I see shootings and violence and, and corruption and, and just, just general ungodliness out there, I need some good news. And that's what the gospel literally means, good news. The Greek word is euangelion, which is, is, is a Greek word for a message that is really good. <laughs> That's really literally what it means. And it's the good news, but it's, the, it's not just good news, it's the best news. And Paul is about to go through it here and tell us what the gospel is. And I want to read just a few a few verses here. That's not what I want to preach on, but that's what I want to talk to you about to lay the groundwork. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. I don't want to get off on this, but just remember what we've always said. Every time you see the word saved in the scripture, you have to ask yourself, saved from what? Saved from what? Salvation is a deliverance, we're told. Salvation is something that it, it, we're delivered from something to something. Here we're talking about gospel salvation. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that, here's the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then Paul goes on to give some proofs about why the gospel is true, why the fact that Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected the third day is true. And he begins to tell them that's what the good news is. And then down in verse 11, verse 12 rather, he begins to come to a problem that the Corinthians were facing. He, he comes down to verse 12 and he says, now, okay, after laying the groundwork of here's what the gospel is, Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again. Now, I've got to tell you something that's real important. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, you Corinthians, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And what I want to preach to you about this morning is the importance of the resurrection. And the essential fact of the resurrection ought to be the central fact of our lives. Now they were talking about, I believe here, not the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of the body that Jesus promised would happen one day. And they had gotten mixed up. You know, they're not the only ones. Over in 2 Timothy, I believe it is, there were those that Paul pointed out that said the resurrection was past already. In other words, you missed it. <laughs> Left behind. You heard of that? <laughs> Left behind. People are saying things like that today, aren't they? <laughs> uh, or they're scaring you into thinking you might get left behind. I just want to say this. 
There's not one elect child of God that's, that's ever lived or ever will live that will ever be left behind Amen. when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> Don't let them scare you with that. But here their problem was they said there's just no resurrection. There's no resurrection. And then Paul goes on here in the most logical way setting forth some truths, some facts that would be true if there is no resurrection. And the first of these facts is that if, verse 13, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then it's Christ not risen. You see? They had in their minds that, and I don't know exactly what they were saying. There may have been some who were saying that death was the end of a person's existence, that all we have is what we see around us here and then when we die we're, we're, we're gone and, and there's nothing left maybe they had this idea that well the spirit kind of continues on in some kind of vague afterlife after you die um, you know that that could very well be what was happening here because there was a there was a heresy going around in that day that by the way we still see it sometimes today called Gnosticism and the Gnostics believed that Jesus never came in the flesh. He just came as a spirit. He either inhabited a body or he inhabited something that looked like a body. And therefore, he didn't really die on the cross. He just, he just went back to heaven when they crucified the body. And, and Paul and John and all the writers, in fact, are diametrically opposed to that. That is heresy of the highest order. Maybe that's what they were thinking about. Well, there's not really going to be a bodily resurrection. <clears throat> Paul then sets out one of the most logical defenses of the bodily resurrection here in chapter 15 that we find in Scripture. But I want you to notice that it all hinges on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is and ought to be the central truth of every single church that declares that it follows the Scriptures. And if you happen to be a member of a church that does not believe in the resurrection, then you need to find some other place to go. <laughs> because you see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central truth of the gospel message. See, unlike the Corinthians, we believe the resurrection is real. The resurrection is real. You know, and, and they, they may not have intended to be saying that Jesus Christ was not resurrected, but that was the clear logical implication of saying there is no bodily resurrection. Because if there's no bodily resurrection, there can be no resurrection of Christ. And so when, when the, the, the women went to the tomb in Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, and, and, the, and the, the spirits, the, the, the angels were there, and they said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. That really meant what they really meant what they said. He really did not stay in that tomb. He really was resurrected. I mean, that's what he claimed to be, is it not? When he went to the tomb of Lazarus in the 11th chapter of John, and, and he encountered Mary and Martha, what did he tell them? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. See, he claimed to be the, what, you know, what if, let me ask you this, what if there had been no resurrection? Now, now I, don't, I don't even want to think about that too much, do you? Um, I, I can give you a little, I think the Bible gives us a little hint of how it would be. Don't, you don't have to turn there today, but turn back to the 24th chapter of Luke. 
And you read about these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus, they encountered Jesus there, the resurrected Jesus, didn't know him. Their eyes were holding that they couldn't, they couldn't see him. They couldn't tell it was him. But what were they doing? They were just marching along, downcast. In fact, he says, what's wrong with you? That your countenance is so, so sad and you're walking along so sad. What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> that's, what, that's what we would be like if there were no resurrection. Think if there were no resurrection from the dead. All we'd have is what we see around us. All we'd have is what we see here. In fact, Paul goes on to talk about that a little bit. He sets forth these consequences if there is no resurrection. Let's continue reading here. He said, if there be no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, then is Christ not risen? Now listen to this. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. In other words, the very thing we're preaching, this very gospel that I've been laying out to you this very greatest news of all time that I've been telling you the good news of the gospel is just false and there's nothing to it and I'm just preaching up here in vain that's the case this morning if 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 Jesus didn't rise from the dead then I'm just up here proclaiming a false truth and you might as well go home and turn on your tvs or go to some Buddhist temple and listen to what they say, or go to the Hindus or the Muslims and six and one half a dozen of the other. That's what Joshua was talking about over in the 24th chapter there when he said, choose ye this day whom you shall serve. I know the, those who believe in, in doing something in order to be born again, in order to be saved, they take that and use that as a, uh, as a verse. They say, well, see, you've got to choose. That's not what Joshua was talking about. Joshua had laid out before them, he said, he said, you know, you've got all kinds of gods out there, the gods of the Amorites and the Hittites, the gods that our fathers worshipped before the flood. And he said, and if you're not going to serve the Lord, then you might as well choose just any of these because there's six of one half dozen of the other. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But if you're not going to serve the true God, then you might as well just pick a religion out there. It doesn't matter because they're all the same. You see, the resurrection is essential to the divinity of Christ. It's essential. Without the resurrections, he's just a charlatan like the Pharisees accused him of being. And the resurrection, as I've said over and over again, even this morning, is the central truth of Christianity. You see, his legitimacy hinges upon his bodily resurrection. The Gentiles, or the Gnostics rather, and who were some of the Gentiles, the Gnostics, the Gnostics said he was just a spirit. The Pharisees said he was a charlatan. Most people said he was just a man. So therefore, there's no bodily resurrection. But you know, we're, we're unique, are we not? Christianity in general is unique. The founder of every other religion is dead. Buddha died. Confucius, dead. Muhammad, buried, dead. Every other founder of every major religion is venerated only in memoriam, only in hindsight. Jesus Christ is the only living founder of any religion. 
And that explains what he, that's why he was always talking about, about being crucified. And that's why it explains why he wasn't coming to be their political deliverer. See, he was coming for some other reason. He was coming not to lead the Jews out from under Roman rule, but to lead his people out from under the bondage of sin. You see, we need, you remember Job, the old patriarch there who, who the book of Job, we believe, is the first book written in the, of, of the Bible. You know, it's, not, it's the oldest book of the Bible. You know I, know, I understand that the book of Genesis, which was written by Moses, deals with the creation and older things. But as far as when it was written, we're told that Job was written first. And all the way back over there, in the midst of the kinds of suffering we can only imagine in our lives, Job clings to one hope. One truth in the 19th chapter that she said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter days upon this earth. And yea, though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. All throughout that book, he was proclaiming. Now, he had some pride issues. Yes, we talked about that in our series we've been doing on Wednesday nights. But generally speaking, Job understood that he was a sinner in need of salvation. He couldn't save himself. And he said, I know my Redeemer lives. See, this is the Redeemer we're talking about. But did you know that the legitimacy, the very legitimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ himself hinges upon his resurrection? Look with me back over to the book of Romans, the first chapter. In, in beginning this chapter, Paul sets forth who he is. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the topic under consideration. And by the way, just so you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is the topic under consideration in every book of the Scriptures. He, even the Old Testament, he said, search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. In other words, you think you're going to get to heaven by doing the things they say there. But they are they that testify of me. Those old Scriptures, those old sacrifices, that old high priest, all the temple service, all the tabernacle service, all of that worship was pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul here says, I'm telling you some things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now listen to this. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. Now how is it he was declared to be the Son of God with power? By the resurrection from the dead. I know we have a lot of, we've had a lot of men out there from time to time claim to be Christ. You know, that Cor David Koresh out in Waco, uh, others, Jim Jones, others that claim to be Jesus. Now, God forbid, I hate to even say this because I don't even want to think about it, but God forbid I should ever claim that. But if I ever claimed to be Jesus, if I ever claimed to be the Christ, there's one surefire test that you can use to determine whether I am or not. When I die, get out here and Set you up a chair by my grave and see if I come out of it. See if I am resurrected. I, 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 I'll save you a little time. You're wasting your time if you get out there and do that because I'm not him. And in fact, there is no other man who is him. But the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ proved once and for all and forever settled the matter that he is the Son of God. He was declared to be the Son of God with power. <laughs> 
You know, there's, there's some interesting facts about our Lord. Back over in the Acts, the second chapter, as Peter is preaching there on the day of Pentecost, he sets forth a, uh, a, a powerful message, a very powerful message about who the Lord Jesus Christ was and what he came to do. And just for lack of time, skip down to verse 22 in Acts chapter 2. Notice what he says here. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now, there was, let me stop there and say, there were some important and powerful signs that the Lord Jesus Christ did that should have proved to them that he was, that he was very God. He, he, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. Uh, he turned water into wine. He, he, he amplified and created and, and, and multiplied fishes and loaves that they might be fed but here he's about to get down to the heart of the matter he says him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain and there it ended for the Jews that was all they needed they they claimed to this we're told in one place they claimed to this day that he was simply stolen by his disciples uh, that, uh, that, that, he was, that that was a story they made up about him. But notice what Paul, uh, Peter says here. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. The Lord Jesus Christ could not be held by the chains of death. I can be held by the chains of death. You will be, you and I will be held by the chains of death one day. As much as we would like to forestall it or put it off, there will be a day coming when we can no longer put it off, when the time will come, if the Lord tarries, that we will lay down our lives. They, the, our lives will be taken from us by sickness or by accident or by some other problem like that. And you and I cannot stop it. And we cannot help being held by the pains of death. Oh, but there was one man. There was one man that could not be held. And he wasn't, this wasn't a new doctrine. Notice what he says. David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the, foresaw the Lord always before my face. You can turn back sometime and read this in Psalm, the 16th chapter. There were so many things the Jews missed in that day that were pointing to Christ. This was pointing to him. He said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. This is, this is David speaking, uh, uh, literally speaking there, but this is as if the Lord Jesus Christ were speaking. This is a messianic psalm uh, like Psalm 22 where David cries out uh, in, in the psalm, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some would say, well, Jesus quotes David on the cross. I submit to you that David was quoting Jesus in a prophetic way long before the cross occurred. <laughs> and this is what's happening here. He said, my heart... My tongue was glad, my heart rejoiced, my flesh shall rest in hope. Now look at verse 27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And he goes on to say, okay, friends, David's dead and buried. So this can't be talking about David. But he said in verse 31, speaking of David, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. The Lord Jesus Christ 
had been prophesied from time immemorial all the way back to the garden that he would be coming one day and that he would put away the sins of his people and that death could not bind him. And he didn't just come back alive in a spiritual way. His body was resurrected. He was bodily raised from the dead. And you see, that's important. Because Paul goes on in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians to tell us some things that would happen if the resurrection were not true. It says in verse 14, I've already read it, he said, If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, your faith is vain. We are found false witnesses of God because we testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Now notice here in verse 16, for if the dead rise not... In other words, if the future resurrection is not true, that means that Christ is not resurrected. If the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And it's even worse than that. Ye are yet in your sins. Do we understand this morning that the resurrection is essential to our eternal salvation? There can be no atonement without the resurrection. In verse 19, he says, verse 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. All of our loved ones that we, we get up here and we talk about our loved ones that have died in Christ. And we look forward to seeing them again. But if there's no resurrection, there's no hope of that. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, he, Paul says to those Thessalonians, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as those that have no hope. But beloved, if there's no resurrection, then that's the only way we could sorrow. Without hope. Without hope. You see, the resurrection is essential to our eternal salvation. Look down in verse 21. Well, Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Lord willing, we'll come back to that before the message is over. But just keep that thought in mind that if that's the only hope we have is what we have here and now, then we're just miserable. We're going to be miserable. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.